0: Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up show, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. If you've been following everything at BavarianFootballWorks.com this week, you would know things are a bit wild. It's always wild at Bayern Munich. We sit here every week and we think about what to talk about. What are the big topics? But Bayern Munich just never seems to fail. They provide so much content for its fans to follow. It makes it very easy to sit here and do this because even this week, you would think maybe things will settle down a bit. Bayern Munich won a game. It's already been established that Thomas Tuchel is leaving. Still, so much happened. And maybe the biggest news of the week, the most impactful news, was that Alfonso Davies seems pretty set to be headed to Real Madrid. Now, if you've been following along with this podcast and any of the others that I've hosted, you've known that I felt like this is probably going to happen for quite a while now. I mean, I started talking about this in the first half of last season. It just seemed like Davies has taken a turn in his career. At one point when he came to Bayern Munich, he was a young, fresh-faced winger from Canada who had all of the potential in the world, was very eager to be with Bayern Munich and very, very willing to learn. So much so that he took on a new position at left back. Technically, it wasn't new. He had played it before, but this was a big adjustment for a kid who many thought would be playing wing to make that move to left back and play at the highest level against the best teams. And he did so and made it look easy. I mean, everything about the kid was great. But over time, during his career at Bayern Munich, things started to change a little bit. All of those little flaws in his game that that we all could overlook because of his blazing catch-up speed, they all started to get exposed a little bit more. He stopped always tracking back as hard as he could. He sometimes found himself out of position. And over the course of time, those things never really got corrected much. While Davies is still a great player and he still has so much potential, he hasn't really evolved And change those things in his game that could take him to that next level and make him, listen, even without, even with, I should say, all of his deficiencies, he's still a top five left back in the world. Maybe top three, maybe top one. I don't know. But just imagine if he had started to work on those things and fix those things. So. Naturally, you start to wonder what could be precluding a player like Davies from making those improvements in his game and really pushing himself into the echelon of player that could be considered an all-time great. And and quite frankly, I think the answer is pretty easy. It's just the way that this younger generation of player is. And that's not an old man shaking his fist at the sky statement, even though it sounds like it. But there are a lot of distractions. There's a lot of different focus for players now. I mean, social media being one where – I mean, players, a lot of young players feel like they need to not just have a brand, but be a brand. And Davies, for his situation, playing in Germany, which while we all love Bayern Munich, we all love the Bundesliga, it is not the Premier League, it's not La Liga, it's especially not Real Madrid in terms of worldwide appeal, worldwide reach. A kid that's grown up in this era who has come up within the age of social media and Promotion of oneself, going to a club like Real Madrid is extremely appealing. It takes your own brand to the next level, the next stage. It's a different platform, a bigger platform. And I do think that while Davies is probably happy with Bayern Munich and he probably makes a good wage and has a very nice life, it probably feels like to him that he needs to make that next step. And it's not just about football. It's not just about salary either, and I don't think that while he undoubtedly is going to get paid more than he's getting right now, I don't think this is much of a financially driven move for Davies. Now, I don't know. I'm not sitting there checking out his bank account by any means, but something tells me that no matter where he moved, he could get the same level of pay whether it's Real Madrid, whether he stayed at Bayern Munich, or whether he went to any club in the Premier League. And believe me, he had several interested in him that would take him today. But I think all things considered for Davies, when he looked at his situation and he looked looked at where he wants to go, what he wants to be on a global scale, quite frankly, you're just not going to be able to do that at Bayern Munich. And for a lot of players, it is the appeal now. They want to be a brand. And for Davies to make that attempt, and there's no, listen, there's no guarantee he's going to succeed. Maybe Davies gets everything he wants out of the move to Real Madrid. Maybe he doesn't. I I don't know, but he's going to take that chance. He's going to give himself the opportunity. Now for two years now, it's become very obvious that there has been some sort of issue with his development at Bayern Munich. And we talked about how he hasn't made those changes in his game, but all that said, and you, and, and, I've often used this term with Davies, is that he has plateaued. He's the same player he was. He's the same player under, he's the same player right now as he was under Hansi Flick. And to me, it shows that there is at least part of him that has this focus on this brand, on building this brand, on being a brand that has prevented him from really taking that next step. Now, maybe he goes to Real Madrid, maybe he's exposed to some different coaching, a different culture, different players. Maybe he gets reinvigorated with the game and he makes that next step. It wouldn't be shocking if it did. But something tells me that the Davies we see right now is going to be the Davies that we see the rest of his career. And that's not such a bad thing. I mean, if you you know ask me right now, would I take Alfonso Davies back at Bayern Munich for the next four years and invest the proper amount of money into a contract for him? I would say yes, because I know what I'm getting with Davies. I know that he's got his flaws. I know I can continue to try and convince him to work on those flaws. But even with the flaws, he's still better than 95% of left backs out there. So for Davies, I get why he wants to make this move. For Bayern Munich, I get why they don't want to let him go. But I do think now there's a point of resignation where Bayern knows that they're going to have to sell him. And now they're going to just have to try and get the best deal they can out of Real Madrid. As for Madrid, it seems like they're content to take Davies one way or the other. They'll either pay a fee that they're comfortable with this summer, or they'll wait it out and let him come for free the following year, which for Bayern Munich, that would be absolutely disastrous. Having a lame duck left back for a season, while appealing as it might be because it is Davies, would set a very bad precedent, a very bad tone under new personnel executive Max Eberl. And I don't think Eberl has any intention of letting Davies go early in turn or I'm sorry not letting him go early but letting him stick around for a year and then leave for free I'm sure Eberl if he gets the proper transfer amount from Real Madrid he would let him go very quickly this summer I mean I think everybody knows at this point that it's a foregone conclusion Davies wants to leave his agent has been talking about this for months now We know that he had a meeting in Spain last week with Real Madrid and FC Barcelona. And if you believe some of the reports out of England, he's already told Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City, thanks, but no thanks, I'm going to Real Madrid. And you know, you can always debate how valid some of the reports are, but I mean, this is a pretty persistent flow of information. It's been leading up to this for months, and I don't have any reason not to believe that this deal is pretty much set in stone. Now, we've seen that some reports that seem a little bit ludicrous that Davies will be paid up to $20 million at Real Madrid. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, Real Madrid is going to have to pay Bayern Munich a transfer fee. But for fans of Bayern who are expecting to get that $100 million that I think a lot of people thought they would get for Davies, I think you're going to be very, very disappointed. Just given the leverage that Real Madrid holds in the situation and the fact that it, it seems that Davies is set on making this move, whether it's this summer or next summer, I wouldn't expect to see much more than 35 million to 40 million for Davies. It just seems like Real has every bit of leverage. They have every advantage in the situation. And Bayern Munich is going to have to use its historically good relationship with Real Madrid to try and make it. And I hate to use this term, but try to beg them to give as much as they possibly can, knowing the situation. Just to come out of of this whole situation, saving face, and it sounds weird to say that, but for Bayern Munich to lose Davies for like something like twenty five to thirty million would be a complete embarrassment to the club. So I think that they're going to have to leverage that relationship, and they're going to have to push Real Madrid, and we'll see how eager Real is to maintain their good relationship with Bayern Munich because they could easily sit and wait this out and take Davies for free in twenty twenty five. Or they could really push this to the end of this summer's transfer window and really only pay a very minimal fee for Davies, a player who obviously should command a lot more just based on his potential. So the Davies situation is, is very infuriating for a lot of people, and I'm sure that some people are probably shocked at this. But if you've been following him and you've read his quotes over the years and you've seen the actions of his agent, this really shouldn't be a surprise to you. I mean, I know a lot of people think that I am the the tinfoil hat guy, that the conspiracy theory guy. And and yeah, some of that is true because I do like to engage in talking about some of that stuff. But I've been pretty adamant about this with Davies for a couple of years now. This is a situation that's always been heading this direction. He's always been about building that personal brand, about being a brand. And you're just not going to be able to do that in Germany. I'm sorry. And and listen, I, I think the Bundesliga is the best footballing league in the world. I think it's got the best style. I think it's got the best fan experience. Everything. It's it, the, whole, the whole thing is great in Germany. But a player like Davies has grown up in the age of social media and exposure. And you're not going to get much better exposure than you would at Real Madrid. So... It's a tough spot for Bayern Munich fans. Obviously, I believe these are Davies' last months with the club. And it'll be very interesting to see how Tuchel handles the situation because Tuchel himself is heading out. So he's got no investment in what happens next season. I would anticipate that if Bayern gets knocked out of the Champions League, which unfortunately is a possibility, or that they continue to scuffle in the Bundesliga, that the club will probably lay down an edict to not play Davies as much so they can see what they have in some younger players or with a veteran like Rafael Guerrero. I would anticipate though, that if something happens like that, or if there is a formal announcement that Davies is headed to Real Madrid and the clubs have agreed on a transfer fee that we could see the arrival on a permanent basis of youngster Adam Asnell, who could get a chance to show and, his show his talent and prove his mettle on the big stage with the first team, because if it comes down to it and Davies has already made his decision and the clubs have agreed on something, there's no reason to keep playing him. Uh There's just not, uh, especially if the season is already, you know, down the toilet, so to speak. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't know that, that there's anything that's going to prevent Davies from leaving at this point. I think even if he were to suffer some kind of catastrophic injury, Real Madrid would still be in because I, I know what they see in Davies. I know what Davies sees in them, and I don't think that there's any way that that move's going to be uh, called off, even if it does have to wait another year because Bayern Munich gets stubborn, which I don't think they will do. We did see a very interesting name thrown around as a replacement for him, and that was Liverpool's Andy Robertson, the Scotsman who 29-29 would be a very intriguing replacement because, quite frankly, there is a dearth of great left backs in the world. And I think Robertson is a very good, very solid left back who's obviously played and won at the highest levels uh, on the club scene. It it would be interesting to see that move made. But Bayern Munich, aside of Adam Asnel and aside of Rafael Guerrero, they do have some other options that they will be contemplating Uh, when Josip Stanisic returns from loan. He can play left back. It would be very interesting to see if Bayern Munich were to move him over there, how much run he would get. Uh, they have obviously Nussar Rowley who can play there as well. So there are options. And, and what I don't want Bayern to do is go out and overspend on the left back just because they feel like they need it. So Robertson is currently valued at somewhere around 30 to 35 million at transfer marks. So that tells me that he's probably available for about 20 to 25 million. I really should get Tom Adams on this podcast because he could break down everything about Andy Robertson in his game, given Tom's Liverpool allegiance. But I don't think it would be a terrible move if it was made for a proper transfer fee, one that wasn't too high. If it was an affordable rate, I, I would say I'm okay with that, but I'm also very intrigued to see what this year has done to Stanisic. I want to know what he looks like when he comes back. obviously, one thing that stood out to me, especially in reading his quotes over the past few weeks, is that mentality. Because we had known Stanisic as a, a hardworking young kid with a good nature who was just very eager and happy to be where he was. But some of the quotes that have come out from Stanisic of late, like it seems like he's developed a real edge. He's got a chip on his shoulder now that he wanted to prove Bayern Munich they made the wrong move in loaning him out to Bayer Leverkusen. And he did. He had a big goal in the last match uh, between the two clubs. So Stanisic, I like what I've seen out of him. I know it hasn't been the most ideal loan set up because originally uh, at the beginning of the season, he was mostly playing in non-Bundesliga matches. But now he's getting a little bit more time, especially as Jeremy Frimpong's uh, future with Bayer Leverkusen has become a little bit more uncertain. But Sanisic has really, to me, proven a lot. He was just named to who scored Bundesliga team of the month. I mean, the kid has made strides. Like, I think a lot of us thought he would. Now I think Bayern Munich is getting a full idea of what it has on the field with him. But the biggest improvement, like I said, is his mentality. And the fact that he has taken this situation, he's run with it, made the best of it. And now I think he's excelling in it, and I think he's liking it. I think he's liking the success that he's having. I think he likes where his career is heading. And if he doesn't have a starting role at Bayern Munich, which at right back is going to be tough, we don't know if that's where the next coach will use Joshua Kimmich. They already have Nusarma's Rally. They have Sasha Boué, who, again, what a panic buy that was by Christoph Freund. And if there's any issue that anyone has with Freund, it's, I mean he can't control that boy got hurt but did you really need to go out and and essentially break the bank on a player that you really didn't need long term it was a total panic move i get why he did it but even max Eberl, her reports was not happy about that move so there are a lot of options at right back it's just going to be a matter of what the next coach prefers and if that next coach is Xabi Alonso, maybe he will prefer to see Josip Stanisic as his starting right back, given the experience that the two men have had together. And the person that will be in charge of not just deciding who's at right back or what other transfers come in or who the coach will be is Max Eberl. And we did see Bayern Munich make the formal announcement this week that Eberl is taking over. He's going to be the new lead personnel executive. He'll work in some capacity with Christoph Freund who was – kind of carrying around the tag of sporting director, but I guess it was very loose because it seems like that Max Ebrill will be taking over as the head honcho for all of the personnel matters. But either way, Ebrill came in and he had some very interesting quotes right off the bat. And he, of course, he addressed the squad, the state of it, the state of the coaching situation. But some of the some of the other quotes that Ebrill had were very interesting to me because these were things that, I found intriguing. So two of the players that he addressed is needing to play are Jamal Musiala and Matisse Tell. Now, it was very odd with Eberl commenting on Musiala because Musiala has played. He's been one of the constants in Tuchel's lineup. And it's crazy to me to think that anybody would look at Musiala's situation this season and think the kid is unhappy with his playing time. Now, I know, again, I'm putting on the tinfoil hat and I felt like this for a while, but I think that Musiala is unhappy if he's not playing the 10. I think that Musiala has a strict idea of where he should be playing, how much he should be playing. And I don't think there's any way he could argue about the amount of playing time that he's had, but the positioning of late could be irking Jamal Musiala. And one of the things I've theorized is that he isn't totally intent on playing the 10, that if he's not playing the 10, he won't want to stay at Bayern Munich. And I think the club knows that. So when Ibril commented on Jamal Musiala, I was very surprised because the kid should not have any complaints about playing time. And quite frankly, who is he? What has he done to be dictating to the coach or to the club where he should be playing? I think he's a better wing. I think a lot of people think he's a good wing. The fact that the team needs him at wing, he should be open and willing to make that move, especially when it's on a temporary basis, because we know that the club will absolutely be putting him back at the ten. So what else could be possibly triggering Eberl to say that Musiala needs to be in the lineup and needs to play? I, I don't get it. I didn't understand that statement. I think, and I and I've been saying this, the club is operating in fear of Musiala, and and I don't get it. Listen, I the kid's talent is tremendous. He's got such great ability. If you want to sit here and tell me for the last year that he's been really good. I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think we all love the potential of Jamal Musiala, but on the field, it has not translated. And part of the reason is because the club continues to roll him out as a 10 for the most part, and he gets beat up. He makes poor decisions sometimes at the 10, whereas at wing, I feel like he is able to break down that defense from the outside in, create more opportunities, and be more impactful. I think it's kind of absurd that, Listen, I'm very hopeful about Ebril, but I think it's very absurd that that was one of the players that he talked about as needing more playing time. No, Jamal Musiala gets plenty of playing time. Anytime he's been benched, it's because, it's been be- because he's been in a slump. He's failed in certain situations. And just quite frankly, hasn't been that good all the time. Does that mean they should run him out of town? No, but it doesn't mean that they should operate in fear of him because for every Jamal Musiala, that comes through and shows great potential. Some of the, a lot of them don't make it. And it's not to say that Musiala won't because he's already proven he can do things at a high level. But can he do them consistently? Can he be the player that Bayern Munich needs? That they need? Can he be the player they build around? Because let's be honest, the future of the club is is coming up very quickly. Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer, they're not going to be around much longer. Yashua Kimmich could be leaving this summer. Leon Gretzka could be leaving this summer. Leroy Sane has disappeared for the last four months so the future increasingly is becoming now and can they depend on Musiala to be that kind of player to build around if you look at the last year the last year from last February to this February you're looking at a kid who's been a roller coaster some days he looks great more often than not though it's not great and I, I like Musiala a lot I love the energy that he brought when he was initially called up Something over the last year has happened. He's become more hardened to the situation around him. He's become a little bit more diva-like, which, uh, listen, I'm sure at Bayer Leverkusen they're saying the same thing about Florian Verts, that he's become a little bit more of a diva. And you can see, by the way, uh, some of the gestures and actions he makes on the field that you could see that as well if you watch any Bayer Leverkusen matches. But with Musiala, I think the club is in a very odd spot because they desperately don't want to lose him but I don't think he's the perfect fit as the number 10 moving forward at least not yet he could get there and it will take some development for him to get there but right now he's not the team's best option and I don't think he should be an automatic starter at the 10 just because that's where he wants to play so I think Eberle with that statement it confused me a little bit now the statements he made about Matisse him needing to play I get it because he was threatening to leave. <laughs> so so I understand that there's a call for him to play more. But again, where were you going to play him for large swaths of this season? Leroy Zanet was incredible to start the season, has trailed off dramatically. Sure, you could have given him more time there. But when we started to see the rampant run of injuries to Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry, The natural way to do things was to move Thomas Muller in to play the 10 and push Musiala out to wing. It was the best case scenario for Tuchel. It was the best option he could give. And and while Tell has been very impressive in short spurts, when he's gotten an opportunity to start, he has not been all that great. Uh, So a role as a super sub for him I thought was fine this season. Yes, Tuchel could have pulled the trigger on him more I think where things really soured between Tell and Tuchel was Tuchel's recent statements about Tell talking about how he hasn't been that good, quite frankly, and that he needs a lot more work. And I I was a little shocked that after Tuchel made those statements that almost immediately we saw these rumors about Tell being unhappy, that he was linked to Manchester United, that he was going to need more, an assurance of more playing time to stick around. Like To me, it was a very weak mindset from Tell to take that approach, the criticism he received from Tuchel. And yes, this is a constant problem with Tuchel. He does things like this and uses the media as a weapon. He could have easily just said these things in private to tell, and he could have made some BS response up to the media when they asked a question. He didn't need to lay the kid out like that. And I understand a little bit why Tell might be upset But he also has to look at his own performances and judge for himself. Have I done everything I could do? Have I been good enough when given the opportunity? And in many cases earlier in the year, before the teams uh, that Bayern Munich plays had a book on him, he was doing extremely well, and he was making an impact almost every time he took the pitch. However, that has not been the case of late. He showed some very good things in his most recent appearances, but there was a spell there where he came in and wasn't able to make that same kind of impact. It's all a growing process for the player and he's going to get better, but he also has to use the old analogy that he has to crawl and then walk before he can run. And I would say right now he's in the walk stage. He's shown that he can crawl. He's walking semi regularly right now, but he's not ready to run and be a permanent starter. And I think he's got a great potential to be a, Very good winger on this team. And I think that's ultimately where he wants to place. I mean, he said he's best working as a left attacker, whether that means wing, whether that means uh, a a left striker in a two striker formation. It's open to interpretation, but I don't know if he'll be a great Harry Kane type striker, but I do see him being able to be a very good player as a left wing or as some kind of a left attacker in a 4-3-3 or something like that. Tell has potential. He also just needs patience. And he's said a lot of great things. And he's done a lot of very good things. But I don't know that there should be this urgency to, again, thrust him into the starting lineup. Because I don't think it's what's best for him. And for all the criticism that I have had of Tuchel and for what other people have had of Tuchel, how he's handled Tell is the very least of the issues. I think he's given the kid a fair amount of chances. I think he's used him in the best role. And Tuchel's even said that. Right now, Tell fits best as a super sub. I firmly believe that. So when you hear me criticize Tuchel, I'm being very fair about it. I don't like some of the stuff that he did, but I I give him credit where I think he's done well. He's done well working with young players. He's found a very good role for Tell, who has excelled in that role. He's done very, uh, did a great job with working in Alexander Pavlovich into this lineup. Tuchel has had his strengths, but he's also had many more weaknesses, which is why he won't be back. But back to tell, I think the kid needs to be a little bit more patient. I don't think there should be this pressing urgency to force him into the lineup because while he is a good player, a good young prospect, it's it's a very tough situation to be able to push him in ahead of players like Thomas Muller or Leroy Zane or Serge Gnabry or Kingsley. Come on. I don't think he's quite there yet. Doesn't mean he can't get there. He just needs to take a little bit slower approach to his career. Again, he wants to run before he can fully walk. I get it. I understand it from a player's perspective. And I get his feelings were probably a little hurt by what Tuchel said. But he has to show a little bit more maturity in taking in that criticism. And he has to, if he truly does want to be at Bayern Munich, and listen, if you really want me to put my cynic hat on, every time he says, "Uh, I want to be a Bayern legend, I want to be here for my career, I kind of doubt that honestly. I mean, I don't think he's actively thinking about leaving, but I mean, it's he's been coached well in how he says things public publicly, but we are seeing these stories leak about how privately he would be okay with a move if he doesn't get more playing time, or that if Tuchel was to stay, which was to me the most intriguing one, if Tuchel was to stay, that he would move on himself. So very interesting. I think tell Puts on a very good public face. I think he's got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with his advisors. So for me, I think he's had a good role this season. I don't think there needs to be any push for him to be a starter yet. I don't think there's going to be a push for him to be a starter next year. I think next year, maybe he could get some more run, maybe some additional starts. But I don't have any need to see him out there every day as a starting winger or as a starting striker, which we all know is not going to happen as long as Harry Kane is at Bayern Munich. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and give some thoughts on the most recent updates to Bayern Munich's coaching search. As we all know, Zabi Alonso is at the forefront of that, but I do have some interesting thoughts about Hansi Flick and why, even though things are sour between he and the club right now, it might not be the worst idea to bring him back. And I've kind of come full circle on this because just a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was a bad idea. So, Let's take a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Weekend Warm Up Podcast. Thanks for hanging in there through the first segment. It was, uh, it was a lot to talk about, quite frankly. When we when we look at the Alfonso Davies situation, we look at we look at the Max Eberl hiring. There's a lot going on there. But one theme that has reigned through in everything this week has been Bayern Munich's interest in Zabi Alonso and. And how they're going to fill their head coaching vacancy for next season. Bayern Munich, of course, is a prime candidate to land any good coach because it's such a desirable spot. It's got good front office backing. It's got a very talented roster. It's got a big bank account, quite frankly. Maybe not as big as Man City or PSG or even Real Madrid, but... Bayern does very, very well for itself. It's a very smart club that has managed well and put itself in a position to be a contender in Europe every year. So the fact that they are a very attractive destination to a lot of coaches theoretically would make this easy to find their next head man. For Bayern Munich, though, it seems like they've really zeroed in on Xavi Alonso, despite the fact that there are other quality candidates out there. And it's hard to dispute that tact. Alonzo has done a tremendous job in reforming Bayer Leverkusen. He is a veteran uh, player. He is someone who easily made the transition over to coach, and he has a Bayern Munich history. I mean, he was a midfielder for the club under Pep Guardiola. So Alonzo has done some really great things as coach as Le- of Leverkusen. He has proven that he has the ability to be a leader of men and that he could be the type of coach who is able to not just coach the players that a club has, but also be able to adapt to anyone that they bring in. And he has done a really, really good job of that and has proven himself. When we we look at some of the most recent hirings that Bayern Munich has made, we look at coaches like Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti, Niko Kovac. We saw Hansi Flick come in and take over for Kovac. We've seen Julian Nagelsmann then come in and take over for Flick, and then subsequently Thomas Tuchel. Almost all of them, with the exception of Flick, has been someone who has come in with a vision. Now, they've all had varying levels of success at Bayern Munich. They've all won league titles, which is kind of weird to say, but they they all did that. But they all had drastic flaws in how they wanted to proceed. For Pep Guardiola, he had great success. He brought a different brand of football to Bayern Munich, but he also had very strict player requirements, and the club adjusted because Pep is Pep, and went out and got Pep what he wanted. And it's not to say that Pep couldn't have worked with the existing players, but he knew he wanted certain players to come in. And ultimately, if you look at Pep's time, he did a great job domestically, but in Europe, not so much. And you could say that one of the reasons that Bayern Munich did not take that next step and win a Champions League under Pep was that Pep's vision, quite frankly, wasn't good enough to win a Champions League. That even though he got the players he wanted – it wasn't going to work at Bayern Munich enough to win an elusive Champions League title. You move on to Carlo Ancelotti, who got some of the players that he wanted. He wanted Thomas Rodriguez. What a disaster that was. I could go on for three hours about that. He wanted Quentin Tolisso, allegedly, got him. So Ancelotti came in again. He had ideas of players he wanted. He got them. It didn't work out. In fact, it was a flame-out of epic proportions Ancelotti, for all the great work he has done in his career, it didn't work at Bayern Munich. And there was there were a lot of reasons for that, if you remember that period of time. But again, a guy that came in with a vision got what he wanted for the most part, and it didn't work. Niko Kovac. This was a very interesting tact by Bayern Munich because they brought in a coach who had a vision. And his vision was completely opposite of what Bayern Munich had on its roster. And the unfortunate... Part for Kovach is they brought him in to coach like he had done the season before at Eintracht Frankfurt, but limited him to using the players that they had on the roster in a formation that he wasn't comfortable with. It didn't work. It was never going to work. So it was very interesting to me to see that Kovac, who needed new players to make his system work. It was the only way that hiring was ever going to make sense. Brazo stifled him, told him no way, didn't give him the players he needed and it didn't work. So, again, you had someone come in with a vision. Only this time, he didn't get what he wanted. And it was an even bigger flame out than anything that happened before him. Flick came in. Again, really didn't get any of the players that he wanted because he came in at it, Let's be honest, like right around midseason. Took over. Managed the team that he had. And it worked. One of the most successful seasons, if not the most successful time period in Bayern Munich's club history. Everything was great. Eventually, though, Flick did have a vision. When he needed to become more than just that project manager, his vision didn't fit with Brazo. Wanted, started a war. Boom, Flick, out of here. So then you're right back to square one. I think Bayern Munich learned as a club what was happening between Flick and Brazo. They needed. They knew they needed to make a change, that the coach's vision needed to be integrated into the club's plan. What happened? They bring in Julian Nagelsmann again. Boom. Vision. He has a vision for the roster. He has an idea of what he wants it to look like. He needed new players to fit his mold, to be able to be tactically flexible and positionally versatile. Nogglesman needed these kinds of players because he can't control himself and changes his own formations from day to day. Got some of what he wanted, maybe not everything, but a lot of what he wanted didn't work. Bang. Bring in Thomas Tuchel, the next man with a plan, a vision for how he needed the roster to look. Didn't get everything he wanted. Got some of it, but not all of it. Did not work again. So what does this all tell you? It tells me two things. One, Bayern Munich needs someone to project manage, to work with the situation as it is and make the best of it. They need to hire a coach that can look at this existing roster and say, I can do this. I can make it work. Let's tweak a couple of things, get me a couple of players, but this core group I can make successful. That's what they need. What they did not get under Tuchel or under Nagelsmann or under Kovac before them, or even Ancelotti and Pep Guardiola was someone that said, I can do this. I will make it work. They all needed something else. So now you're at this point where you have this established roster, As much as Bayern says it's going to have a sell-off for the summer, and I know they're not technically saying it, but there are rumors saying that they could sell as many as five players, that they could have discussions about the futures of as many as 12 players. It's logistically probably not going to happen that way. So you need someone that's going to be able to work with this group and get the best out of it. You need someone to manage the group now. Be a project manager, not a project planner. And that's where I think a lot of the hirings have went off the rails. Tuchel and Nogglesman, especially, they always had their eye on the future without really examining how they could make the present operate best. Now you're in a spot where you have to make another managerial hire. But you have this existing core, that you have all of this talent that has already proven it can win at the highest levels. But you have to find a way to get the best out of it right now. You have to build trust between the coaching staff and the roster. You can't do what Tuchel did and come in and start talking almost immediately about immediately about who he wanted to bring in to replace established players. You can't do what Nagelsmann did, which is not have any regard for what happened in the past and just operate day-to-day based on whims. You need someone to come in and manage that project. And this might all sound like I'm setting up for Hansi Flick to come back. Because of how I led into this. And listen, at this point, it might not be the worst idea. I'll get in the flick in a second. But I think, and this is just a hunch based on how he has worked so far, that Javi Alonso could be that kind of manager. That he could come in and manage this project to the best of his ability and get the best possible results. While also keeping one eye on the future and building to what this club needs to be moving forward. There are not many coaches on earth that are going to be able to look at the present, manage it, and get the best results while also building toward the future. It's a very difficult task. Not many can do it. Some can. You need a lot of resources behind you to operate that way. But I think Zabi Alonso, because of his playing experience, because of what he walked into at Bayer Leverkusen and, and what he's done, which, listen, he has had some key acquisitions. There is no doubt about it. But he reformed that team. He reformed the team's mentality. This was a team on the verge of relegation. And he molded them into what he thought a winner would look like at Bayer Leverkusen, and it worked. And then he got more players. And when he got some players to build on and start working toward the future, now they're a juggernaut. They haven't lost a game. So it tells me right now, Javi Alonso is probably the perfect fit for Bayern Munich. And I think they need to go out, and they probably do need to pay whatever the transfer fee is to get him because to me, it's a very limited pool of people that could come in and do this. And yes, I'm operating on a sense of belief, but this is a sense of belief that I did not have with Thomas Tuchel. It's a sense of belief that I didn't have under Julian Nagelsmann. I didn't, didn't hate the Nogglesman signing. I liked it, but I thought a lot of things would have to fall into place. I also thought that Nogglesman would do much better at managing the current group that he had. He didn't, Tuchel never even tried, if you ask me. So, to come in, to take this team, work with where this team is at and is in its existence. You're at the tail end of some players' careers. You've got some established players in their prime, and you've got some good young players you need to continue to integrate in. You need a special coach to do that. I think you need someone who's had not just a good playing career, but a great playing career, someone who has been exposed to different clubs like Liverpool and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, someone who's had all of that big club experience, who has also coached, and I believe it was Real's side dad, that he started his coaching career there, working in their youth system. You need somebody who has all of that, who can take all of the big picture and formulate a plan and make it work best for the present and the future. And I think Alonso is that perfect match. If for some reason, though, Bayern Munich can't get Alonso, I'm not as opposed to bringing back Flick as I was even a week ago. And it comes back to the line of thinking that they need someone to manage the project. Right now, you're going to, most of the coaches you bring in are going to have their own ideas. They're going to have this plan of what they want this job to be. Flick, I can almost assure you, is not thinking past tomorrow at this point. He had a disastrous end to his Bayern Munich tenure, not because of his record. Because if you remember, his record was great. They only lost in that Champions League tie against PSG because Lewandowski was gone. He was injured. If they had Lewandowski, I still think Bayern would have been a serious contender to win the UCL that year. But I think Flick has learned a lot from that experience. I think he's learned a lot from flaming out with the German national team. I think he learned a lot about how to handle players who quite frankly didn't buy into what he was selling. So I think all of this would make Flick a capable person to bring in and give a little time to. Let him manage the current squad, let him make it work, and then start to talk to Flick about what ideas he might have for the future. You need that project manager. So if you can't get Zabi Alonso. I think the number two choice is Hansi Flick. The only problem is it seems like Ole Honus is not a fan of Flick anymore. There seems to be some kind of grudge there. He apparently has personally vetoed Flick returning to the club, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, Ole backed out of having a very important role a couple of years ago, right? And I know that they brought him back because they needed him. But for the way he's still pulling the strings at the club, it's kind of crazy. And, and while I appreciate everything he's done and all, of, I mean, listen, everything, he's a legend and he has built the foundation for Bayern Munich to be successful for its near future, long-term future, everything. It, it might be time that his volatility might be having more of a poor effect on things than a positive. effect. <laughs> uh, sometimes there's a call for volatility and there's a call for that kind of aggression. Uh, right now, night might not be the time. If zabi Alonso goes to Liverpool, then I think Bayern Munich has to look very, very seriously at Hansi Flick. And I just don't think they will. So that's where I'm coming out on the coaching search. I think Alonso is the perfect fit. I think he is the one that they need. If they can't get him, I'm okay with Flick. I think that that is one of the things that uh, could be a very intriguing prospect. Uh, a couple of things I'll touch on quickly uh, before we start to wrap things up a bit. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann. Some of the rumors coming out of the German national team camp right now—it's—it's it's puzzling. So the first thing that we'll talk about is uh, the quartet of leaders that are rumored to be Nagelsmann's fearsome foursome: Ilkay Gundogan, Manuel Neuer, Tony Kroos, and 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 Antonio Rudiger. <sighs> if i sound exasperated it's because i am i feel like by uh, i'm sorry germany already tried this uh neuer is a natural leader uh he's also someone who nagelsman took the armband from so <laughs> i i mean if you're going to take his armband why are you including him in the quartet of leadership here i i, I don't know i'm getting some very very uh bad vibes about nagelsman's tinkering and his inability to commit to anything uh this just reeks of craziness. Uh Gunduan I listen he's, he's had a great career. I, I'm not a huge fan of his current game right now to empower guys that that were you know important coming through 7 8 years ago it's it's not good. I just I don't know what 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 Nagelsmann is doing. I don't know if he knows what he's doing, but uh, you have good leadership options. And it's not to say that these four players can't lead or shouldn't lead, but some of the moves that were made leading up to this, I mean, like I said about Neuer having his armband taken, Gundogan get, being the recipient of that without really having stood out at any point in the recent, you know, recent times, recent history for the German national team is puzzling. Rudiger is... To use the word volatile again, he is volatile. Uh, Sometimes he is exactly what a team needs. Sometimes he can be a team's own worst enemy. Tony Kroos is literally just coming back, and I understand how great he is. I understand everything about him. We have to remember, though, during his last tenure with the German national team, he was apathetic. He was part of the problem. So I don't necessarily understand what the hell is going on. And when you have players like Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich who are have been leaders on this team, who have been leaders on the club scene, it makes no sense that this is the tact that Nagelsmann is using. So I don't get it. Uh, one other thing about Nagelsmann is that we, we started to see that there are going to be quite a few players who could be in danger, and unfortunately – some of them are going to be Bayern Munich players. So six Germany stars were named as having the possibility of missing this summer's Euros. Leon Goretzka and Serge Gnabry, of course, two Bayern Munich players who I, I don't get the Gretzka hate this season. I think he's been pretty good, so I'm a little shocked to see his name. I get that Tony Kroos is coming back, but how do you not have room for Leon Goretzka after the season he's had? Serge Gnabry, I, I get a little bit more just because He's been injured for the most part, and he's been up and down when he's been healthy. Uh, Emery Chan uh, from Borussia Dortmund, again, like I, does nothing for me at this point, so not having him is no loss. Nico Schlotterbeck, I feel like, has been given every opportunity to succeed and to seize a starting role or to seize a role at all on this team, and I think he's been horrific for the German national team, and I don't think he's been great on the club scene either, so no big loss there. Nicholas Sula. Who I understand the heat on Zola. Nagelsmann does not appear to be a big fan of Zola. I, I I under I get it. I know that he's taken some heat for his fitness once again. I think his versatility and his ability to play both center back and right back in a short tournament format is extremely valuable. I would keep him for that alone. And and listen, I like Zola as a player. I do, and I I have liked him. I think it would be a mistake to not bring him along. But here we are. That's Hummels, center back, Borussia Dortmund, again, not getting the impression that Nagelsmann is a massive fan of Hummels. Uh, Hummels has been up and down this year. He's had some really great moments. Of course, being at his age, he's going to have some down moments as well. I think if it comes down to it, though, the leadership-type presence you might need on the back line. I'm not saying he would start, but you might want him around as a – kind of sub or someone just to be on the squad and absorb things and help the other center backs. You know, I look at the whole situation and, and of the six players listed, really the only two, I would totally sever ties with are Emery Chan and Nico Schlatterbeck, because I just don't think they bring much to the table at this point. Even Serge Gnabry, I think has the capability to come in and change things, especially as a sub for, for Germany if he gets the opportunity. Now he will have to come back and prove that he's physically okay, but I don't see that many other great attacking options that should be bumping him out of the mix. So a little puzzled by some of these stories that I've seen, especially the Goretzka call there. I I don't get it. I understand you can only keep so many midfielders, but not understanding what is happening with Goretzka because I feel like he's had a solid season yet. He continues to get hammered in just about every other uh by everyone else essentially at this point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'll talk about the most recent episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and then we will wrap it up. Thanks for hanging in. Stick with us. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking with us through that break. The last thing I did want to hit on was the latest episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and I know otherwise for me it's a pretty dry period in terms of what shows I'll be watching. I think things will spike a little bit this summer when we get Uh, The Boys and House of the Dragon are supposed to both return, I believe, right around the uh, June time period. So looking forward to those. But man, what an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's funny because so far throughout the first three episodes of the season, I've been waiting for that classic Curb Field return. Episode one missed the mark. Two and three, I think we're building up to it for sure. Episode four was just aces in my mind. I laughed so many times at at what was happening there. Uh, It was tremendous to me. And the one thing I always love about Curb is when you have all of these diverting storylines that encompass so many different characters. And then by the end of the episode, they all tie together so perfectly. I think that's when you get the best of what curb your enthusiasm is and just some of the way things happen from the disgruntled letter to larry being called an a-hole to the couples therapy and the urologist leon going to the urologist was hilarious long ball larry uh just so many funny things i have to just i i couldn't stop laughing Just a great, great episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. If this is how the rest of the season goes, I'll be very, very happy with how they they wrap things up. I, I just had one laugh after another throughout the episode. I mean, the interactions are always great. Jeff and Larry, Larry and Leon, Larry and just about every character he interacts with. It was so, so good, and I laughed so many times. But again, like how everything just came together and wrapped up so neatly at the end. Just a tremendous episode. In my mind, just a classic episode. I I loved every second of it. And you could kind of tell from the beginning of the episode with how things were going. Just a perfect start with the disgruntled letter. And then everything right down to the last scene with the thin walls between the doctor's offices. I just, I I ate it all up. It was just great to me. So totally enjoyed that. Uh, in my mind, this is, has to be a big turning point for the season where we have now progressed into the show hitting its stride. You know, listen, the first episode, I really did think missed the mark. Two and three got a little bit better each week, but four was just tremendous. Loved every second of it. So if you had a chance to watch that episode of Curb, you're a big fan. Let me know how you felt about it because I can't stop laughing thinking about some of this stuff. It was uh, really good stuff to me. And that'll about wrap things up for this episode of the weekend warm-up. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at Tommy Adams 71 You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Have a couple of beers on me. Enjoy the SC Freiburg match this weekend and the Lazio match in the Champions League next week. It's going to be a lot of fun going on watching those games, and of course there will be a ton more news dropping, we are sure of that. So have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.